0: Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Getting to Grips MMA and BJJ podcast. In today's episode, we talk about the state of the divisions after UFC Fight Night 156, some possible future matchups for all the guys on that main card. We talk about the matchups that have just been made between Dan Hooker and Ally Quinter, Michelle Waterson, Ioanni and Jacek, amongst some other current events that have popped up in the world of MMA, and our dog tries to sabotage the whole podcast. Anything else to add, Shan? No. All right. Enjoy. Let's get started then.
1: Yeah, I've got my coffee next to me or jet fuel. You know, I'm not going to miss too many things about Thailand, but the coffee is on point, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I've, I've decided to go with a different approach to today's podcast and not partake in any of the uh, devil's letters before recording. Because I listen back to some of the old podcasts, and I sound like a dopey robot. So, uh,
1: <laughs> That's your nickname.
0: <new> <laughs> <laughs> my drug of choice today is is caffeine. I'm on my second big coffee of the day. I need it though. I did uh, a lot of rolling coaching the G class this morning. People were were trying to come after the coach and rip his arms off, so uh, I right. had to do some fighting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not to be confused with Vietnamese or Cambodian coffee. If anyone is looking for, get, can get their hands on some Thai coffee, that's where it's at. It is delicious and strong.
0: Yeah, I've become addicted to uh, iced coffee living in this country. That's definitely one of my new favorite things. I don't think I ever had an iced coffee before I landed in Thailand, and now I can't yeah. imagine having it any other way.
1: Iced coffee, my sign, Nam Tam, right?
0: <laughs> That's the one, although I've given up trying to speak Thai because they always look down their nose at me, at my accent, so uh, I, I just go with the whole no sugar thing.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. All right, on that note, <laughs> let's get started. Uh, all
0: right, so yeah, today I just wanted to go over the like, general reflections on the card from the weekend, the UFC Fight Night 156 from Montevideo in Uruguay. If you guys want to hear like a round-by-round a round breakdown of all the fights, a kind of dissection of them, you can go back and listen to the last podcast where we did that directly after the fight's finished. Um, but today I just want to look at kind of the UFC slash MMA landscape and how it's changed a bit after this card and, and what kind of things we can look at going forward. And the biggest thing that seems to come out of this card, which everybody's been talking about and it has been all over social media, is not just the fact that Mike Perry doesn't have a nose anymore, but the, the result of that fight. People are not happy that the split decision went the way of Vincente Luque. Um, we just re-watched the fight just before starting recording this. Uh, I mean, w- what do you think?
1: Uh, well, it's something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about, really, because I think round-for-round round, Perry did enough, as far as I'm concerned. I know that he does cut easily, so he was... You know, maybe a bit bloodied in that first round, but Luke was touched up also. Um, but you and I have talked about this before, where I'm a, I'm always a little bit confused about the way judges score fights, and it never seems to be consistent. Where some look like they're scoring the fight round around, and then they're sort of you know picking up the results at the end. Others, like I think happened in this case, where I thought my parent was winning the fight, not decidedly, but I think, you know, strike for strike, he, he, was, he was on the up, but the fact that he finished the fight, the, the worst for wear out of the two fighters, and I feel like that may have swayed the judges' decision, because Mike Bisping said this partway through as well, where Mike Perry had a flurry late in the first round, and he thought, you know, that momentum from the crowd, he said, will sway the judges. And I feel that kind of happened here as well, where, strike for strike, he probably should have won that fight. But then, because he was so fucking battered, um, when he came out of that guillotine and then, you know, just blood pouring out of his nose, pooling on the canvas, I think that shocked the judges a little bit. And I think they gave it to Luque because of the damage that um, Light Perry took, what do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think judges definitely, they get swayed by damage and unfortunately they do get swayed by the crowd. I mean, yeah. a, MMA has a has a history, so, so does boxing. You know, boxing's been around for longer though, but MMA in its relatively short time as a legitimate sport has a horrible history of, of bad decisions and bad judging. And it used to be because, you know, the the position of, being a judge within an athletic commission is decided a lot of the time by kind of nepotism. Um, You know, who knows who, who's your mate. Um, And a lot of the times, these judges really don't know what the fuck they're looking at. I mean, I I still remember Joe Rogan talking on his podcast a couple of times um, about one of the judges. I I think it was Adelaide Byrd. I mean, Adelaide Byrd being somebody who's been responsible for so many shitty decisions in in both MMA and boxing. But uh, I can't remember what fight it was, but somebody was putting – their opponent in a kimura and she leaned across to um somebody else who was sitting cage side tapped them on the shoulder and asked them what was happening she didn't know what a fucking kimura was and yet she's in there being paid to judge professional fights the outcome of which you know a lot of time is going to dictate people's careers um so you know the the state of judging in mma has, has never been brilliant um that being said you know, there's a lot of talk about this fight being a robbery and uh, a lot of people are really upset on social media. I, I think, in my opinion, that has more to do with the fact that Mike Perry has a pretty rabid fan base just because of the way he is. You know, he's a big, bombastic character. He's an exciting fighter. People really like to get behind him or, you know, on, on the flip side, they, they like to haste on him. And so it, it's going to create a bigger reaction. I, I wouldn't have been upset if that fight had gone either way. Watching it back this time, gun to my head, I mean, yeah, I probably would have scored it for Mike Perry. I, I think he did enough to just edge out those first two rounds. Um, and then I give that third round to Vincente Luque just because of the damage done. Um, that knee absolutely destroyed Mike Perry's face. Um, Mike Perry just showed just how tough he was to, to hang on in that guillotine. Um, but, you know, I, I'm su- it was like squeezing the blood out of a balloon at that point. I'm surprised he had any red blood cells left in his body at the end of the round. Um, yeah, so you've you got, you got to give that round to Luke. But I, I did score the first two for Mike Perry. I would have been happy with a draw. I'm not super mad at the decision. It was a close fight. It could have gone either way. Um, definitely not a robbery for me.
1: Yeah. You and I have talked about this a few times, too, where if that fight were to have gone on for five rounds, who would have, who would have won? And, you know, if it just if there is another round that that supersedes the last one, then, I, I mean, it's difficult to argue that Mike Perry would have been able to, to continue. I mean, if anything, there would have been a, a doctor's stoppage, his, his, um, yeah, yeah, the, the damage was too extensive. So I feel like it was a fair, a fair decision based on the history of judging that I have seen in mixed martial arts so far. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, I Mike Perry is as tough as they come. I yeah, mean, I've, I've got depth. a a huge amount of respect for that guy. The amount of punishment he's able to take and keep coming forward, I think he's a much better fighter than a lot of people think he is. Um, he still brawls, but but from the guy that we first saw coming into the UFC, um, he has evolved. He he brawls technically. You know, he knows how to use his power properly. His conditioning is excellent. He's able to keep that power, you know, well well deep into the third round. Um I but that nose, you know, if, if that fight had gone on for starters, I think you're right. I think there would have been a doctor stoppage. The last time we saw a nose that badly broken in the octagon, uh it was Rory McDonald against Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald just just crumbled after that. You know, as, as tough as Mike Perry is, who knows what would have happened if that had gone to another round and Vincente Luque kept up that kind of nice pinpoint accurate uh striking with those straight punches through the guard. Um, even Mike Perry, you know, might might have crumbled at that point. He certainly would have been compromised. But but, yeah, sorry. Just as far as the decision is concerned, again, um, I I would have scored that fight for Mike Perry if I was judging it. But it was a split decision. I don't think you can be too mad either way. And, And one thing to note is I don't think either one of these guys' stock goes down. It's a shame for Mike Perry because he was outside the rankings and this was his opportunity to go in. This would have been a real boon for him. But at the same time, we get to carry on seeing a surging prospect in Vicente Luque, who's now on a six-fight win streak, start to fight the upper echelons of the division, and he is very, very good. I'm excited to see that. Um, we know Dana White likes exciting fighters. He's going to keep Mike Perry around no matter what, and keep feeding him good fights. and And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Mike Perry comes back from this, strings a few wings to get a uh, few wings, a few, yeah, a few wins together, uh, gets himself back in the rankings. Um, I I don't see him getting a title shot, but he's going to be one of the most terrifying gatekeepers that that 170 pounds division has ever had.
1: Yeah, Luque played a really smart fight, I thought, because Mike Perry, though technical, I mean, he is technical, don't get me wrong, I don't want to say that. it's not really what I meant, but he had this tendency during the fight where he would throw a jab and kind of, like, duck his head down a little bit, and I think Luque capitalized on that in the third at the most opportunistic time where he saw that he was dropping his head down and just connected with me absolutely perfectly. So it makes sense that he's won six fights in a row. I think power to him. And you're right about Mike Perry being a, a, a gatekeeper. There's no way that they're going to cut him. He's super exciting. He's so fun to watch. Fan favorite. He's six and five now, though, um, but I, I don't see I don't see them getting rid of him. I fucking hope not. He's just so much fun to watch, obviously.
0: Yeah, his his place is is definitely safe in the UFC, and and he belongs there. Um, you know, it, th- this fight was razor thin; it could have gone either way, as we keep saying. And and had Mike Perry won that fight, um, we'd be talking about him today with with a ranking number next to his name, uh, and what was was next for him. It's just you know, the, these things these things are close, and we'll see what happens. Mike Perry's got to take six months off, months off to heal that schnoz up, and uh, we'll we'll see what's next for him from there. But in, in the meantime, Vicente Luque, like we said, six fight win streak, looking exciting. I think there's a lot of upside with this guy. What one other thing, just just to briefly go back to that Mike Perry fight, is that Vincente Luque, he he chose to engage Mike Perry in the area that Mike Perry was going to have the most success. Vincente Luque is very, very good on the ground, better than Mike Perry. You know, Cowboy kind of exposed... Uh, Perry's relative inexperience on the ground um, when he armbarred him in their fight and Vincente Luque could have shot in that fight and looked to take the fight to the ground. As it was, Perry was the only one who looked to really clinch up and and initiate some grappling. Um, And I think if in that second round, instead of choosing to engage in boxing distance, because he didn't throw a lot of kicks, Vincente Luque, in that second round, um, if he'd have chosen to level change, shoot a couple of doubles, even if he wasn't able to complete the takedown, he would have been able to get Mike Perry thinking about that and maybe not be so free with his hands. Um, so I, I do think that Vicente Luque is the better round advisor. Uh, he's excellent on the feet. Both of the guys look great on the feet. Uh, I was really impressed. Um, you're right, Mike Perry was ducking that head down a lot. He does have that kind of wide head movement, You know that, that boxing-oriented head movement, and he does have a tendency to slip that head down right to the path of a knee. Um, and rewatching that fight, you know, just sort of twenty minutes ago whenever we watched it, um, we could see that Vincente Luque had prepared for that and he was looking for that knee the whole yeah. fight. It just happened to be towards the the latter part of that third round that, it, that he landed it. Yeah, it
1: was perfect. Absolutely perfect. So I, I can't I'd love to see the wedding pictures. My period said last podcast he's meant to be getting married September. Uh <laughs> I hope they're I hope they're rethinking that for the sake of Photos, But fuck it. I mean, that's his job. That's the other thing too. You know, I, I feel like their, their life is probably pretty heavily centered on on Mike Perry's, you know, career and aptitude for fighting. So maybe this is the perfect way to, uh, the perfect face to have for, for wedding photos.
0: I mean, yeah, I I think he'll be yeah, fine. You know, if if he was in some shitty smaller organization, he might just leave it and look like a a bulldog for the rest of his life. But those UFC plastic surgeons, I think they're they're pretty special. Yeah, they look like
1: they do remarkable remarkable
0: work. So let let's talk about Vincente Luca then um, coming forward. He's he's made some noise since the fight about wanting uh, some top ten opponents, which I think is fair enough. Um, I don't know about top 10. You know, he, he was ranked number 15 uh, coming into this fight. And I think that he can have a good fight with some people on the lower end of that top 15 division. Just to, just to give him a couple more tune-up fights. So, um, looking at the division, um, I think that a fight with Neil Magney would make sense. Um, Neil Magney, I think, ranked number 14. Right now, uh, incredibly well-rounded fighter, excellent cardio, um, good wrestling, long, rangy striking, very quick, throws punches in bunches and, uh, and can really do it on the floor. I think if Vincente Luque were to fight Neil Magni and get past him, that, then we're really talking about cracking into that top 10 and starting to put together a real title run. Um, so, so for my money, uh, I think I'd like to see Neil Magny. There, there's also a possibility with Jeff Neal, um, who, again, is in that kind of lower end of 170 rankings. I think both of those fights make sense for him, and uh, I'd, I'd like to see them make that.
1: All right, whatever you say.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> um, so we, we can talk a little bit more about the the Shevchenko um, fight with uh, Liz Kamush.
1: Yeah, I just have a couple of, like, brief observations to make one of them was um Shevchenko's interview afterwards and she says I mean it's fair enough she says she's you know happy with the victory and she came with the belt and she's leaving the belt with the belt and she's super happy um that she was able to kind of cut through Liz Carmouche's strategy in that fight I guess Liz was hoping to be the counter striker but Valentina just never really played into that invitation that Carmouche gave her. Um, and I think she says, well, what she said was, I think if all fans, people will start to watch more carefully the fight, they'll see very beautiful technique and timing and speed. And this is all about martial arts. And I entirely appreciate that. But where I struggle with that a little bit is that, of course you have to have the martial arts skill to deliver head kick knockouts like she did against Jess Guy. You have to have that disciplined fighter to achieve those types of spectacle finishes. But as a fan, that's all I wanna see. Like, I appreciate the martial arts. You have to have the martial arts. You have to have the discipline and the patience um, and the knowledge to not be taken in by your opponent especially when it matters the most like a title fight but it is a spectacle we're there to watch people engage and so yeah uh, valentina does have the skill to engage they both do and i know it's their it's their livelihoods and they don't want to you know make mistakes and take unnecessary risks but i feel, i don't feel like they took any risks and that's not what people pay money for, especially if you're headlining an event, especially as women headlining events. They have to be, they have to be awesome. They have to be like, you want, you want to see them throw down and they're both highly talented and skillful women and martial arts are not, it just didn't deliver and that's disappointing.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. You know, when you're a prize fighter, uh, people are paying to watch you fight, uh, I think you know, you, you have to present them with a fight. Uh, the, the thing about that fight was is, is that Valentina is a counter striker through and through. That's how she approaches fights. She has that kind of solid, flat footed, counter striking Muay Thai style, um, which is great as long as somebody's coming forward and engaging. But Valentina has never been one to take anything in that cage that she is not given. Um, so when you see somebody like uh, the fight before this that she had with Jessica Rye, who was willing to come forward and engage and had some confidence in her boxing, you might see a spectacular knockout. Uh, but when you get somebody who came in like this, Karmouche, um, who really chose not to engage in any area of the fight, you're going to get a boring fight. And I think the onus here is more on Karmouche than it is on Shevchenko. Shevchenko is the champion. Yeah. Shevchenko, uh, she went in there. She knows what she's doing. She's known as a counterfighter. fighter, yeah. um, and you know, I think Liz Carmouche knew that she had to go in there and take the fight to Valentina. If you're just going to stand on the outside with Valentina, Shevchenko, and shadow box, you're just going to get technically picked apart, um, and you're never ever going to be able to put Valentina in any kind of trouble. Uh, I just, I just think Liz Carmouche was completely overwhelmed by the moment here. She, she really wasn't effective in. Any arena. Um, You know, it did look like she was shadow boxing. She was never, she never made any attempt to close the distance to land any strikes. She never used any of the very few strikes that she actually threw to try and set up any kind of a takedown, which it was going to be the one area of this fight where she might have had a slight edge over Valentina. Um, She was just a deer in the headlights for the whole fight. Um, She she really didn't attempt anything or risk anything. And I, I was quite disappointed in the. Not the post-fight interview, but the post-fight press conference. That she seemed relatively content with what had happened. Um, you know, th- this in all reality was going to she be. Shevchenko or Karmouche? No,
1: Karmouche. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she it's all bizarre. she could talk about
0: with all the positives she was going to take away from it, and I just thought, you know, this, this is, you know, assuredly going to be your last shot at a major title in MMA. Um, and you you squandered it. If you'd, have, if you'd have gone forward and been more proactive about trying to get takedowns and you went in and you got knocked out or, or TKO'd or you just came out on the other end of a, a losing decision, then that would have been one thing. But at least you would have gone in there and tried and lost to the better fighter. But what she did was play it so safe um, and just seemed to be content to come out not having taken any damage. Now, you don't want to come out taking damage if you can possibly help it. But this is a prize fight, um, you are there to entertain fans also, that, that is a facet of, of the sport and, and, a, and a, a factor that everybody needs to keep in mind when they're fighting. Um, and she just didn't do that. So not, not only now does she come away without the belt, she also comes away, um, I, I would assume in Dana White's and the promotion's eyes, as somebody who is unwilling to take risks. There's a lot of talk about CTE and, and you know, damage you take from fighting, and, and that is true. But this is your chosen profession. You've got to take risks in order to get some reward out. You know, so sometimes if something's not happening in the fight, you have to force the action. She was losing that fight round after round, um, and, and she never pulled the trigger. So it, it was a deeply unimpressive performance by Liz Carmouche. I mean, she um, went so far.
1: Carmouche went so far as to blame Shevchenko for her inactivity. Yeah. For Karmush's inactivity. Like she said, you know, she was, she was the one who, who didn't engage. So... I mean, I, I don't understand it.
0: Personally. I I, I, I disagree really with is. that. I, I think it was Liz Carmouche that, that Valentina, for her part, engaged where she could, but with the counter striking counter striking style, you you do need somebody to come forward. And and not only that, but it was it was Valentina, you know, in the odd parts of action in the fight, who actually engaged in the grappling too, and again got that yeah. body lock takedown controlled on top. Um,
1: yeah, Lou know, really Thompson yeah. all over again this fight. Really <laughs> yeah, no, not
0: great. But no. um, with, with that being said uh, I'll stop shitting all over Liz Gummish and, uh, we can talk about what, what might be next. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko, it's her and everybody else. Um, there is some talk of her fighting Caitlin Chukagian, um, which is a decent fight. But the thing is that Caitlin Chukagian has only just recently lost to Jessica. I, who, as we know, got the absolute fuck knocked out of her by, uh, valentina the last time they fought um and i just think you know i've i feel like i've gone on a bit too much about how shallow the the women's divisions are but but this is another example of that um the only legitimate fight that people are really thinking about is caitlin chukagian she's ranked number two um behind liz Carmouche, so now she'll uh, presumably move up in those rankings to number one um she only has one win you know, in in her last two fights, she she beat Joanne Coldwood by unanimous decision in her last fight, which was uh, back in June at UFC 238. But before that, she lost to Jessica I um, at UFC 231 on, on the undercard of the Holloway Ortega fight. Um, you know, the the fact that they're putting women in here where, with one win uh, and one loss in their last two fights, especially when they lost to somebody who just got knocked out by the champion. Um, is is crazy you know the, the only fight that makes sense as i keep saying is another fight with amanda Nunes. and uh, valentina's already lost her twice so as, as good as valentina is she doesn't really have any foils in this division anybody she she needs a rivalry at this point that isn't amanda um if she goes in there and beats amanda that, then great but i don't necessarily see that happening she needs somebody to really test her and i just don't see where that's coming from right now hopefully there are some young hungry killers coming up through the Invicta ranks and uh and in the lower kind of uh, levels of that UFC 125 division but uh I I don't see it right now
1: yeah I mean it is very shallow for the women definitely uh what about I mean we don't really follow Invicta that much but do you think that there's someone um maybe coming up coming up there who could give Valentina a little bit of a run
0: uh, I, I just don't know those Invicta divisions well enough, uh, to be honest. Uh, so I'd I need to go and, and have a look and see. But, um, you know, now, now that we're doing the podcast, I'm, I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to all that stuff. So if hopefully there is somebody coming up. Because Valentina is so good. Um, and it's a real shame that, that she doesn't have anybody in that division to test her right now as the champion. Um, and, and that will always kind of be... If she doesn't find that that rivalry that, you know whether you're DC to John Jones or, or Gustafson to John Jones or whatever it is, you know, the, the Conor McGregor, uh, Jose Aldo kind of rivalries where you have somebody who really brings out the best in you. Um, it, it's difficult to see how good somebody truly is. And if nobody comes along to challenge her, Valentina may be, you know, one of the best women ever to step into the octagon, but, but people will always say, yeah, but look at the level of competition she faced. So, so hopefully there'll be somebody coming up who uh, can put that challenge to her
1: i got just the person. Henry, Se- Henry Cejudo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll pay to watch it. <laughs> oh,
1: that'd be awesome.
0: <laughs> uh, He's so, got yeah. a gold medal,
1: doesn't he? Doesn't Henry Cejudo?
0: I think he does. Um, I don't so, know. He's so clear. quiet and demure, demure about his yeah. uh, accomplishments, so you never really hear about it. <laughs> the king of cringe. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: All right.
0: What's next? Okay, so uh, Volkan Ozdemir
1: okay, um,
0: yeah. beats Ali Latifi in very, very impressive fashion. Again, we talked about it on the last podcast. If you yep. want to hear a, a real breakdown of the fight itself, yeah, he, um, he
1: came into that fight with uh, like dealing with a broken hand. I think it's sort of a similar break to Charlie, our friend Charlie, his his broken hand, and um, yeah, so he he injured it in a bar fight. Evidently. So, you know, trying to keep himself fit between 2017 and 2019, he decided to uh, get in a few bar rolls. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But that is how he says he, uh, he hurt his hand. He was in a bar fight. So maybe well, yeah, so he, I, I think he is that the same surgery? bar fight that
0: he, he got in trouble? Um, I, I think he was in trouble with the law for one of them, and that was part of the reason for him being refused his work visa to the U.S. to be on oh, that yeah. uh, New Jersey card. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, regardless of the broken hand and whether or not he was going around beating up bar patrons, uh, he looked amazing. I, I, I will just say as well that, that whatever trouble he ran into in that bar, I, I can be fairly assured that it was not Vulcan Uzdemir that started that. He is a very nice, mild-mannered dude outside of the cage. Um, I, I can't see him going and causing trouble in bars, personally. No,
1: me neither. Me neither, not at all. Uh,
0: but, yeah, looked, looked great against the little did pretty much exactly what I expected him to do. Took the fight out of the first round. Really drained the Tevfik's gas tank, um, and eventually just ended up taking over the fight with beautiful, varied striking. Finishes it eventually in the second round with uh, a left hook from hell up against the cage, um, and just shows how good he is. You know, he uh, he's only lost to the best of the best. And as I've repeated numerous times on that podcast, I thought he won that Dominic Reyes fight, um, broke Reyes' nose, looked really good. And so at, at this point, looking forward for Volkan Özdemir, um, I, I want to see him get right back towards that title contention spot, because again, we, we need contenders at 2 5 So based on that, I reckon the match that makes the most sense for him at this point is a rematch with Dominic Reyes, um... There's been a lot of talk about how controversial that decision was, and I, I just think it would be good for Özdemir to be able to run that back and try to expunge that off his record. Either way, with the result of that, that fight, the fans get a good result because we either legitimize Dominic Reyes as a real bona fide contender at £205 um, that could possibly fight John Jones if he beats Özdemir again, or Özdemir gets right back into that title track by, by snatching that, to, that result back. What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, I mean, Reyes is at number four. So that would be an amazing uh, coup for Ostomir if he could get that win back. I think that'd be fantastic. How do the two match up stylistically?
0: Well, just just based on the last fight, you know, they, they match up well uh, in terms of having an exciting fight. They're both guys who prefer to keep it on the feet. Um, Dominic Reyes is a long range guy. It's, I don't think that Rez carries quite as much power in, uh, in his hands as Özdemir does. Uh, and Volkan was able to make that pay in that last fight. Like I said, he, he broke Reyes' nose pretty badly. And at the end of that fight, Rez was definitely the worst for wear in terms of physical damage. So I have no problem with running that fight back again. I would love to see it. Now there's so much on the line, uh, it would mean more too. Um, and again, we, we're just looking for contenders in that division. So either way, it's a, it's a win. For the division, yeah, I mean, it'd be amazing. But another interesting, uh, another interesting fight that people have been talking about is a fight between him and Chris Weidman, who's recently kind of thrown his hat to the ring in the light heavyweight division. Uh, he doesn't have a ranking at light heavyweight yet, Chris Weidman, but I, I think that would be a really great fight. Where does do he belong reckon?
1: in that uh, in that rankings list? Do you think? So, do you think sort of around the Gustafson level, number six? Do you think we're...
0: No, I, I think that's and too high. Um, Glover,
1: Glover to you share. Know,
0: yeah, I, th- I think you could slot him in there, maybe just behind Glover. I, it, you know, he's he's had some tough times at middleweight recently. That gasoline one win was a good win for him. Um, to be fair to Weidman, he has only lost to the elite of the elite in that middleweight division. You know, tough loss to Yol Romero to Luke Rockhold. Um, nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, so I, I just think based on that, you, you can't really slot him in inside of the top 10 at light heavyweight. But you can certainly make a fight between him and Vulcan, um, And if he wins that fight, then you can really start talking about him as a viable title. Oh, that
1: sounds exciting.
0: I think that'd be a really Great. exciting fight. Um, I, I would love that. Personally, if, if I had the choice, I'd rather see the Rares fight just because I think it, it does more. To move that division forward, but I'm certainly not going to complain if we end up with a Volkanovski vs. Chris Weidman fight on one of the pay-per-view cards. Coming yeah, that'd out. be
1: something, wouldn't it? Jeez, okay,
0: something to watch for. Yeah, uh, I think that's about all we we need to talk about in terms of recapping that main card and, and what's coming up forward. Unless you have anything no, else to add. Okay, cool. Should we should we move on to some current events?
1: Yes, some current current I mean, events. Dumb. dumb, dumb. Uh, I think the top of my list is that uh, Gaethje Cerrone has been announced in my hometown of Vancouver on September 14th.
0: That is a fucking right! Fight.
1: How exciting! I get goosebumps when I think about that one. I can't wait. Vancouver is gonna go bananas. It's gonna be awesome.
0: I I am probably Justin Gaethje's biggest fan. I cannot overstate how important that man is to the landscape of mixed martial arts today. I I think he is a, a one in a million human being, possibly not even that, that is willing to go in there and just put himself on the line every time. A lot of people say Oh, yeah, you know, I want to go in there and uh, I'd rather lose an exciting decision than, than win, uh, or, or rather lose an exciting fight than win a boring decision, blah, 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 blah. And, and they, they kind of go in there and they, they prove that that's not the case. Justin Gaethje, every time, will put his body and his brain function on the line to make it an entertaining fight and try and knock somebody out. We're talking about an elite wrestler who never wrestles. If he ever uses his wrestling, it's only defensively to keep the fight on the feet so that he can just stand in the pocket and throw bombs and try and chop your leg out from underneath you. His run of fights in the UFC, I didn't watch him much when he was in the World Series of Fighting, but you know, his knockout of James Vick, his fight with Eddie Alvarez is probably up there for one of the best MMA fights that there has ever been. The same thing for his fight with Poirier. Um, his first win over Michael Johnson when he first got to the UFC to come back after the damage he took. I am a massive Justin Gaethje nut. Uh, I, I cannot wait yeah, for this. Yeah, it's going fight.
1: to be amazing. I can't. Had you heard about it before? I just said it. I wanted to surprise. You. I had <laughs> heard that the
0: fight yeah, had been made. You. <laughs> Are you <Yeah>. okay? <laughs> <laughs> I had heard that the fight had been made, but I, I didn't know which card it was going to be on. I, I didn't know it was going to be in Vancouver. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm also a huge Donald Cerrone fan, as you know, I mean, I I just think there's, I, I have no uh, no preference of who wins this fight, um, but it, just like I, I didn't really with the Tony Ferguson Donald Cerrone fight, I just wanted to see a great contest, and that's what we got. Um, I, stylistically, these two match up so well. Uh, there there is absolutely no chance that Gaethje is going to want to take it to the floor. There is a chance that Cowboy might look for a takedown, but I don't know whether he's going to manage to to hit a takedown against somebody with the wrestling. Uh, background and, and caliber of Justin Gaethje. I think this is going to play out on the feet. Two big leg kickers. Um, and I, I just, I don't know who's going to win this. They're, they're both so durable. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm wetting my pants with excitement to see these two go at it. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait for that one. Vancouver is going to give them a very warm reception, I'm sure.
0: Yes, I am sure.
1: Um, so, I was just uh, having a look at some of the things that are, you know, of interest. Uh, one of them is that John Jones has sworn six ways from Sunday that he's not going to fight um, DC again. That's fine. I guess that's his prerogative. I don't know if you want to throw anything into that or not. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair enough. He's beaten him twice now. Yeah, you know, everyone talks about the rivalry, but I think Daniel Cormier even said it himself there's not much of a rivalry uh, if he's lost two out of two fights. Uh, I I just think that John Jones has Daniel Cormier's number. Daniel Cormier is excellent. He's elite, but he's second best when it comes to John Jones. And unfortunately, that's always going to be a little asterisk against him for that 205-pound title. I think that Daniel Cormier has both benefited and suffered as a fighter from his his move down to 205 pounds. On, On his way into the UFC, Daniel Cormier, for my money, was the best heavyweight on the planet. You know, he, he came through from Strike Force having won that Strike Force Grand Prix as an, uh, Grand Prix as an underdog, um, fighting guys like Josh Barnett, you know, really seasoned veterans. Comes in, wins that, comes into the UFC as a heavyweight, moves down to light heavyweight because he's a friend and training partner of Cain Velasquez, and Velasquez at the time was a heavyweight champion, um, and is the best in the world at light heavyweight, too, except when it comes to a man named. John Burns Jones and that that rivalry made him better as a fighter because I'm sure it pushed him to to train harder and make improvements that he wouldn't otherwise had to have made Uh, but I think that Daniel Cormier is best at heavyweight I don't think that John Jones is going to go to heavyweight anytime soon he wants to completely clear out that 205 pound division maybe he'll go up later but by that point I think Cormier will already be retired I don't really have any any interest in that third fight Uh, I think we know how that goes Let's let DC finish off his career at heavyweight. See what happens after the Stipe fight, Um, and let's let John Jones continue to face contenders at two hundred five. And if John Jones chooses to move up later, then then that's great. But yeah, fair enough. I I don't need.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Can we talk about that Stipe fight just for a second? Because I'm a massive Stipe fan. You and I watched that fight uh, with. Shoot, who was it? Like six years ago. Roy, Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that, that was one of the most influential things that I have seen on television. You know, when you're a little kid, you see someone get shot on TV for the first time or, I, you know, on um, the horse's head in the bed. I caught that by accident when I was really little. And, uh, and watching Stipe kick the shit out of Roy Nelson just taking these bombs. And I just, I've loved him ever since. He's a hell of a nice guy. And I think he got caught by accident during that fight with with DC. And I really hope he gets a chance to redeem himself because I think he's a great fighter and just an awesome dude. He deserves it. What do you reckon?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been calling for him. I said I've been calling, like as if I have some kind of sway. of
1: <laughs> Your direct um, line. Dana. <laughs> I've, I've wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and I. Best <laughs> Speed dial. Uh, yeah, I,
0: I've, I've been wanting to see this fight since the first fight. You know, stepe Miocic is arguably the best heavyweight the UFC has ever seen. If you look down his list of credentials. Before his loss to Daniel Cormier, he beat Mark Hunt, Andrei Olofsky, Fabricio Vadum, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, and Francis Ngannou all That's in a row. Unbelievable. Um, and, you know, his other wins, Gabriel Gonzaga, Roy Nelson, uh, he's just, he's had a hell of a run. And the fact that, you know, he's beat guys who were in the running to be called some of the best heavyweights of all time, Especially that win over Fabrizio Badoum. I think that opened a lot of people's eyes to just how good he was. Um, that's, that's where he won the title. Um, going in and beating somebody with a striking cast, uh, you know, caliber of Alistair Overeem. You can say what you want, you know. Overeem wasn't Uberim at that point, but still a great win. Junior Dos Santos, incredibly legit contender. Francis Ngannia was at the height of his uh, hype at that point. And he showed a really disciplined performance. And he did get hit. I mean, Ngani landed some bombs on him and he showed a hell of a chin, uh, which makes what DC did to him even more impressive. But I I had thought that his body of work up until that point warranted an immediate rematch with Daniel Cormier. I was really unimpressed when Cormier immediately started calling out uh, Brock Lesnar. You know, this is just silly. There's no point. Brock Lesnar hadn't fought forever. That was one
1: of the stupidest things I've ever seen in Crazy. As stupid,
0: yeah, crazy. I mean, anybody handbags. you know with, with a modicum of intelligence knew that that fight was never going to happen. You know, there there is not a version of the UFC with Usada in it that Brock Lesnar can fight in unless there are some serious strings being pulled in the background. Not only that, Lesnar hadn't fought in forever. The last time we saw him in the octagon. Um, he won a decision over Mark Hunt where he just kind of out-wrestled Hunt. Not going to do that to somebody with the wrestling credentials of DC. And before that, we saw him get kicked in the stomach by Uber Eam and disappear from MMA entirely for for years. You know, not, not a legitimate contender. DC was clearly just looking to make some money there, which is fair enough. But I think you had to give somebody like Stipe the respect he deserved by offering him a rematch. He is the longest reigning UFC heavyweight champion of all time. Um, and i i just think it's a real shame that it's taken this long to put that fight back Yeah maybe together. but
1: it could be to Miochi's advantage you know cuz he's just had a, a baby and sometimes taking let's like, see he's had a year off and this you know his life has changed detrimentally in that time having a kid so it may have been serendipitous serendipitous you know it's possible that the universe is just organizing itself for for Stipe to be back in with that fighter's mentality let's hope uh, yeah
0: uh, yeah, it's possible, and I, I, I like DC. I do. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for the guy. I, I think he's good for the sport. I think what he's accomplished, you know, in in wrestling at, and in MMA is is yeah, he incredible. To be where he is, no, no um, question. Yeah, is especially considering all the setbacks yeah. he's had in his life. But uh, I will be rooting for Steve in that fight. Uh, I think he should have got the fight sooner. But there will be a question mark, you know. Hanging over the amount of time that Steve has spent out of the cage. You know, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, we just don't know. There, there are a couple of fights like that on that card. You know, Diaz hasn't been, Nick, or Nate Diaz rather, hasn't been in there in a long time. That's going to be a question mark hanging over that fight, even though I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. But we can talk a bit more about that on, yeah, that's on Friday. Cool.
1: Um, I just, I want to stick to the heavyweight division just for a second, because I saw a headline. I didn't really read the article, but... What's what's happening with Verdum right now? Because he doesn't really he doesn't fall in the rankings.
0: Uh, So I believe Fabrizio Verdum is no longer under contract. Oh, that makes sense because
1: he said that he wants to come back and he wants Ingunn when he comes back. Mm -hmm. Really?
0: Okay, so I hadn't I hadn't heard that. I knew there was some. Confusion over his status as far as his contract went with the UFC. Uh, I I want to see him back fighting. You know, he is he is older now, and he who was his last loss to Doom. Um, I mean, here we go. I've Got him up here. Oh yeah, Alexander Volkov. So he he didn't look great in that Volkov fight. I think he had a questionable game plan. Um, he he just didn't look like he he went in there to take out a young, hungry contender in Alexander Volkov. Um, before that, wins over Walt Harris and, and Martin Tibura, which are uh, good wins, but uh, kind of beneath him, it, experience and skill-wise, at least back then, Walt Harris has got a lot better since that fight. Um, and, then, and he had a loss to Alistair Overeem. He, there are still some exciting fights to be had in that division. Uh, this is heavyweight, so even a depleted Fabricio Verdum is still going to beat a lot of those guys. He's still one of the best... Jiu-Jitsu players in heavyweight MMA, especially guard-wise, off his back. Um, I, again, I, I don't know what the status of his contract with the UFC is. I had heard rumors that he was trying to break his contract and go make some money fighting in Russia. Um, but if if he wants to come back and fight, fight in Ganyu, uh, I would definitely watch that fight. At this point in his career, I, I fear for his health a little bit, but anytime I get to see... 't fight Yeah, that he's happy.
1: always game he always like he seems like just someone who loves to fight absolutely loves it yeah. oh
0: he's he's forty two years old now um and enganyo is is getting better and better you know he's Ngannou's never going to be the most technical fighter but he makes up for a lot with his physicality and his face melting knockout power from from all angles and uh i i don't may, maybe if that fight had happened a couple of years ago um i would have favored fabricio quite heavily but at this point uh i think he might
1: get okay so here it is i've got a few more details about this so he tested positive for a banned substance in 2018 and asked to be so he he got he was banned until may of 2020 so i'm i guess like he's expecting to come back in may of next year and he originally requested ufc release after quote-unquote unfair practice by usada um, so he's he's come out to say Usada shouldn't be able to decide when when I stop fighting, um, and it sounds like he absolutely does want to, to come back against um, he's, Yeah, he's old, forty two.
0: All right, cool. I mean, we'll yeah. we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not a big fan of Usada and their practices either. You know, I'm, I'm all for cleaning up the sport, but I think this whole, like, turning up at 6 a.m. And, and all of this crap is, is just ridiculous. It's, it's just kind of all about jobs-worthiness, isn't
1: it? It's just finding some sort of yeah. positions for people to fill, to bloat the organization,
0: make it seem... So many good fights have yeah, fallen apart at, at this point, and I, I may be in the minority with my opinion, but I'd, I'd just rather everyone be on the juice and we actually got the fights that we wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. I so, agree that's um, Yeah. It's uh, it's just gotten a bit bit silly at this point, but that that's a discussion for another time. What, um, what else you got?
1: Something that this being said on his podcast recently, and I thought you'd enjoy this fight too. He wants to see Till the Lawler. Yeah, I love that sound fight. Awesome. Tills on a two fight slide, and Lawler's on a three fight fight slide. That's hard to say, but um, I think that would be a barn burner also.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that fight, actually. It's it's not a fight that I've uh considered up until this point. But it, it's it makes perfect sense considering they're both coming off losses. Um if Till wins that fight, then it puts him, you know, back in a favorable place in the division. I'm I'm not sure that I love the idea of Till sticking down hundred and seventy pounds. He's just so big. You know, we we all know he's had difficulty making weight in the past. He looks so depleted on that scale I, I just don't know if it's where he's going to do his best work Uh I was hoping he was going to go up to 185 pounds but if he does stay down at welterweight then I I like that Lawler fight. It's going to say a lot about Lawler too um, and how much he has left to offer for the rest of his career I mean that that Covington fight was, was tough and it's not necessarily a case of, of it being a depleted Robbie Lawler but he didn't look great and he's, he's going to be wearing that coming in to a Darren Till fight. I think it'll answer a lot of questions. Um, yeah, I I like it. Uh, I hope they make it if Till stays at 170. But I would rather see Darren Till go up to 185 pounds and not fuck himself up so much trying
1: to make that work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to. I, I'd love but
0: to is, isn't Till too busy dealing with the legal ramifications of like stealing? Public transport vehicles in fucking Tenerife, or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I think it was. he's
1: moved into the Motel Six that sits opposite the courthouse. <laughs> what a fuck up! He's a uh,
0: yeah, he, he's a handful. I love him. I love he's the a handful. Way he Darren I,
1: I, I, love the fact that he's full of piss and vinegar. That's exactly what you want out of from a from a Liverpudlian MMA fighter. It's awesome, but um, he needs to get his shit together outside of the octagon. That's for sure. Otherwise, it's, it's John Jones all over again. I don't, I don't like know. Yeah, I mean, that. he
0: moved to Brazil in the first place because he got stabbed and then made a few too many enemies in Liverpool. In another case, that his coach shipped him off to Brazil because he was worried that he was going to get attacked again. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he is brash and he talks a lot of shit. And you, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, but we, we'll see. I, he's, he's really young. He still has a lot to offer in the division. Um, I, I like the fight with Robbie Lawler. Um, yeah. But let's, let's see how it goes. Robbie Lawler's on a tough tough streak right now. You know, he, half-elder Sanjos, he got absolutely run over by half-elder Sanjos. It was a controversial loss to Ben Askren. Um, I I don't, I think that it was a right decision on behalf of Herb Dean to stop that fight, but I, uh, I think that Robbie Lawler was okay and that fight could have carried on. Um, And then that loss to Colby Covington, again, was an absolute steamroller. So, uh, if he fights Darren Till and loses, I think that might be it for Robbie Lawler in terms of any kind of legitimate contendership. Um,
1: yeah, that's been fair enough. He's sort of taken on, as you call it, a more of a gatekeeping role, trying to um, just let you know if there's people who are kind of up and coming, let's test them against someone formidable. And um, whatever, whatever happens,
0: maybe. he's a, he's always going to be regarded with the he's utmost nailed. respect by everybody, fans, peers. I mean, the the fights that that guy's had, the length of his career the amount of promotions he's been through he's been there right since the beginning you know one of the original guys in uh the pat millis team in bettendorf iowa you know mixing it up on the mats with uh tim silvia and matt hughes and and all of those guys and he's fought in strike force you know he's he's gone over and fought in japan he's fought in the ufc when he came back to the ufc um after his kind of tenure in Strikeforce where he had some incredible fights too. But d- didn't look like a world beater in Strike Force. He kind of lost a few he-, he lost to Jack Ray, he lost to Tim Kennedy, um up at middleweight, he lost to Henata Sabral. You know, at-, at that point in his career it didn't look like he was gonna mount um much of a, a streak at that point. And then all of a sudden he loses to Lorenz Larkin and Strikeforce, but then gets a new new UFC contract out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, he beats Josh Koscheck, Bobby Volker, um, and Rory McDonald. And suddenly, he's getting a title shot again. And I just... I I think that the fact that he could bounce back from those losses and do that against some of the best guys in the world is incredible. He he had that one loss to Johnny Hendricks, then comes back, beats Jake Ellenberger, beats Matt Brown, and then beats Johnny Hendricks again for the title has an absolute Rory McDonald in which he caves Rory McDonald's face in and just goes to show that he's one of the toughest men on the planet and then it has another one of the best title fights we've ever seen against Carlos Condit until he finally loses to Woodley but for my money um, though it wasn't the longest I think that Robbie Lawler's welterweight title reign in the UFC is my favorite in terms of just sheer action-packed fights um i I love that guy and no no matter what happens going forward he's uh he's a sure fight hall of Famer.
1: yeah it's nice to have a dog in the fight you uh you always get super excited when when i fighting so
0: there are very few people that he can fight that that i will not be clearly rooting for him
1: yeah that's cool except maybe maybe gauchy
0: even then (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> even then I've, I've, I've
0: been on that robbie lola bandwagon for a long long time and it, yeah. would, it would be well, uh, disingenuous uh, of, it. of me to hop off it right now i'm a i'm a more recent Justin in okay, case
1: that's awesome uh the last thing i have is uh diaz pettis coming up pretty soon so diaz is coming back after a few years away he hasn't been around since 2016 when he had that um Rematch with Connor at USC 202, and he's coming back for USC 241 against Pettis, which sounds pretty fun.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this a bit more on Friday again when we break down sure. the cards. Uh, I like the fight. There are a lot of questions around it. A lot of questions. I mean, Diaz, like you said, he's been off forever. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not somebody who uh, wants to fight that often anymore, especially since he made a boatload of money for those see he, he hasn't needed to financially um i i don't think for a second that he just hasn't been training you know i I believe in when he says that he's been in the gym pretty much every day continuing to work on his skills uh there is a difference though between being gym ready and fight ready but there are people in this sport to whom that matters a lot less you know i think the Dominic Cruises, the Nate Diaz, the Nick Diaz is of this world. They can take five years off and come back and, and still look amazing. These guys are just born fighters. Yeah. Uh, and he,
1: he walks around at welterweight really like maybe he puts on five pounds or something, but because he's so active, you know, with triathlons and stuff like that outside of the octagon, then I think he just keeps himself fit and, you know, he's on the pads. I'm not sure how much sparring he's doing. Probably a lot more verbal than, uh, than anything else. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Like you said, we don't have to, we don't have to break it down, but I'm just um, I'm excited to have him back because he is hilarious. He's so fun to watch. I love the press conferences, when he feels like fucking doing them. Um, so, yeah, let's just see what happens. But um, I, I think it's a great fight. It's going to be super fun. We'll talk about that a little bit more as he goes
0: on. Yeah, the, the sport is definitely better off when one or both of the Diaz brothers are involved in it. You know, they're, they're both great fighters. We'll talk a bit more about their fighting styles on Friday. But, you know, if, if you look at... Granted, Nate Diaz hasn't fought since 2016. Um, that last fight against Conor McGregor was August 20th. But if you look at his last three fights, he had that spectacular win over Michael Johnson um, in 2015 where he just looked great. And I, it was kind of off the performance that he got that late notice fight against Conor McGregor when Hafael dos hurt his foot. Um, and obviously he choked McGregor out in that second round, just, just completely outconditioned him, put a pace on McGregor that McGregor was not ready for, especially at that weight. Uh, and then they had their next fight, um, what was it, a few months later, in August. It was a five-rounder. I have watched that fight five or six times, and I still think that Nate has won that fight. Either way That's you true. look at it, it was an incredibly close fight. So you're really looking at somebody who coming into this fight is coming off, for my money, three wins against Michael Johnson and two wins against Conor McGregor. And now he's coming up after a long, long layoff against Anthony Pezis. There are a lot of questions about this fight, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so am I. I think it's going to be awesome. There's, um, there's a new countdown. I've just seen it. it's popped up. For, uh, for, for
0: Pettis and Diaz, so that'll be really fun to watch. Good stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch that.
1: Great. I don't have anything else, my friend.
0: Okay, I've, I've got a couple of things, just um, as far as fights that have been made. Uh, number one, this just came out, um, I saw on Instagram yesterday, Dan Hooker versus Ally Quinta has been booked. Yes. Um, I, I like this fight a lot. Um, I think this <laughs> this is going to be Really, really fun. It's going to be at UFC 1, oh, oh, sorry, 243, which is in Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, which is uh, like you were talking about where Ronda Rousey got a block knocked off by Holly Holm. Oh,
1: man. Um, Best fights
0: ever. Yeah. It, that's going to be a great card because on that card is the middleweight unification uh, title bout with Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. So, so that's got some names on it. Um, looking at these two fighters, Dan Hooker just got back. In the win column with that win over James Vick, up until his loss to Edson Barboza, and just let's take a second to talk about that Edson Barboza fight. I don't know if I have ever, I don't know if I've seen a human being take that much damage and not go down in a fight um, since the last two Cain Velasquez Jr. Dos Santos fights. The amount of like turning side kicks, spinning back kicks that. Uh, hooker absorbed from Edson Barboza was terrifying. I can only imagine the, the state of his internal organs after that fight. I'm glad he took some time off to recover, um, then came back and, and beat James Vick with that impressive knockout. So, But before that Barboza fight, he was on a real streak. He beat Ross Pearson, Mark G. Casey, Jim Miller, and Gilbert Burns. Um, and we saw how good Gilbert Burns looked uh, on that last card. So he has won now one, two, three, four, five five out of his last six. Um, so he's coming in, he's going to be confident, I think. And looking at Alec Quinta, I mean, just always, always in the top of that division. You can never count him out of anything. He lost that last fight to Cowboy, but you know, that there's no shame in that. Cowboy's Cowboy, you know, he'd look great in that fight. Um, and I just, I think this is a great matchup. What do you reckon?
1: Uh, I mean, if you say so, I am usually so high when we watch the fights, and I have a hard time remembering <laughs> what happened the last time. But I do remember that Dan Hooker that Dan Hooker fight. I am a fan, so I think that's going to be super fun. Ally Quinta is really fun to watch, too. Um, so uh, so-
0: Ally Quinta's only two losses in his last... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fights are to Donald Cerrone and Khabib.
1: So, you know, we're,
0: we're talking about only losing to the, the tippy-top of that yeah. division. Yeah.
1: I mean, they better come prepared, both yeah. of them. I they, mean, listen to be... this um,
0: this resume here. So, in in that win streak that he put on before he ran into Khabib, he beat Rodrigo Dam, Ross Pearson, Joe Lozon, Jorge Masvidal, and Diego Sanchez all on the way to Khabib, lost to Khabib, beats Kevin Lee, loses to Cerrone. I mean, he's, he's still right up there. Absolutely. Um, And I, uh, this is a smart matchup. If Iaquinta wins this, he's right back in that picture. I, I, you know, there are so many people in that lightweight division that I would love to see him fight. I'm looking at the rankings right now. Obviously, we've got Khabib at the top, who is waiting to fight Dustin Poirier in that unification bout. Tony Ferguson at number two. Uh, I won't even go into that because I could speak for two hours about how unfair it is that Tony Ferguson hasn't had a title shot yet. Mm-hmm. We got Conor McGregor still sitting at number three, Donald Cerrone at number four, Justin Gaethje at number five, and then Ally Quinter at number six. So Dan Hooker is all the way down at number 14. So this is a hell of an opportunity for Dan Hooker to be able to work his way up the rankings. But if Ali Quinter wins this fight sitting at number six... Uh, and it's ballsy of him to take this fight against somebody who's ranked so much lower than him. It's part of the reason why I think people like him so much is his willingness to step in. Um, I think you've got to give Aya Quinta the winner of Cowboy Gaethje. Either we see a rematch with Cowboy or a fight with Justin Gaethje. Um and, and then that that's going to catapult him up into like the top three of that division. Um, Ayo Quinta, you know, he, he still has a chance to make a run at that title and if you ask me, gun to my head, who would win a fight between him and Poirier, you know, it's it's a tough matchup. Um, I think the only person, the only two people who clearly beat him, in my mind, uh, in that top five are Tony Ferguson and Khabib. But even then, I think he gives them a good fight.
1: I love Aliyah Kintel. How long has he been around for? He seems like someone who has just been permanently set up in the sport for years and years and years.
0: Yeah, I, I'm looking at his his record now. His first pro fight um, was against Mervyn Rodriguez in Ring of Combat in February 2009. So, yeah, well, we're talking about a, a, a 10-year stretch of a pro career
1: yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's incredible, his his longevity, considering how he fights, too.
0: Yes, exactly. And he's been in the UFC since 2012, so he, he's been playing his trade for a long time. His first fight in the UFC, I forgot about this, actually, was... Uh, uh, a loss to Michael Chiesa, naked choke. Um, we know how good Michael Chiesa is on the ground. But Absolutely. He's beat Kevin Lee twice, um, and uh, you know, I just, I, I think his resume speaks for itself. This is a good fight, yeah. important yeah.
1: fight. Yeah, it'll be super fun. Uh,
0: moving on, the last thing I've got here is uh, Michelle Watterson, Yuni, and JT
1: Yes, I forgot about that. I'm,
0: so, I mean, I'm
1: firmly in the Waterson camp. I just, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan. I love her, um, but this is this is going to be a big challenge for her because
0: Joanna is something something special on the feet. Yeah, um, it's it's a great fight. It's Joanna is having some trouble in that division now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got the dog wandering around, staring at me like he needs something <laughs> right now. Just give me one second, Kate, <laughs> Stanley. Come here, you little shit. <laughs> Trying to record a podcast, dealing with
1: canines <laughs> wandering around. Uh,
0: okay, so yeah, but back to the fights. Michelle Waterson, she's 33 now. Um, so if she wants to make a run at the title, she keeps talking about being the first mother to win a title, which seems to be important. Um, but she she is on a three-fight win streak. Uh, she had a really good win against Karolina Kovalkovich in her last fight. Uh, took that decision, rightly so, I think. Before that, another unanimous decision win over Felice Herrig, which was a close fight, but she was able to take on somebody who was much bigger and uh, more of a physical presence than she was in Felice Herrig. She out-grappled her as well as out her, and I thought that really showed how well-rounded her game was. Um, and then before that, another win over Courtney Casey, which was a split decision. It, it was a close fight, but I, I think she did manage to edge it. And before that, she's got losses to Tisha Torres and Rose Yunus, but like I said, I'm on a 3-5 win streak right now, um, Yohan has had a bit of a tough time in this division over the last couple of years since being one of the most dominant champions we've seen. Um since she lost that title to Rose, we've seen her go a bit up and down. You know, she's got two losses to Rose. I know she likes to contest that second loss, but for my money that that was a clear decision for Rose over Yunus. Um she's then got a win over Tisha Torres and then lost her most recent fight to Valentina Shevchenko, which you know it, it, tough fight for Yuan and moving up to 125 pounds, facing Valentina. They're both striking base fighters, um, but Valentina, just with that that extra experience and that extra size, really able to make it tell and taking the unanimous decision. Um, I think this is a great fight. I I would like to see Michelle Waterson employ some grappling in this fight and not just keep it as a stand-up affair. Michelle Waterson is one of the few women in that 125 pound division that Yun Jacek is not giving away too much size to Michelle Watson. It's quite a small flyweight. Um, so I think it's very exciting on the feet. You've got the kind of very fundamentally sound Muay Thai stylings of Yun Jacek. She likes to plant her feet. She likes to throw a lot of straight punches, a lot of front kicks, a lot of leg kicks versus the kind of more traditional, blended with boxing, striking style of Michelle Waterson, where you're going to be seeing more of those uh, spinning heel kicks, turning side kicks, mi- mixed in with some decent boxing in the closer ranges. Um, I think that the difference for me in this fight is going to be Michelle Waterson's grappling, um, which is good. I, th- I don't know whether she's uh, got a brown belt yet, yeah, but she's definitely at least purple belt level on the floor. Her wrestling is very, very good, and she blends it in with her boxing quite well. Um, but this is an interesting fight, and, and one of the the better fights in in this women's 125 pound division to make, I think.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. I'm also really interested in the the pre-fight amble as well. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, really looking forward to that because you couldn't get two women more juxtaposed personality-wise. They're so different in their demeanor, the way they interact with the press, their methods of promoting themselves to the press and to their fans. Uh, you've got, you know, Ioana just probably, you know, just trash talking and making sure everyone knows she's number one. Even yeah, she she, 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 she likes to talk four. a bit of shit, Ioana. Yeah, she likes to talk about herself, like, you know, just really puts herself up on a pedestal. And then you've got Michelle Waterson, who, though confident, is just so professional and... Sweet. I mean, there's no other word for her. She's just a, she's a kind lady who seems to love where she is. So I'm I'm curious about how they're going to interact with each other. I really can't wait to see that once they start doing um, some press conference and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's an important fight for the division too. I think. Uh, and- a standout performance from either one of these women will go some way towards filling in that real lack of contenders for Valentina Shevchenko in that division. If Michelle Waterson can go in there and absolutely tool up Ioani and Jacek and prove that she's a force to be reckoned with on the feet and that she's able to implement uh, some effective grappling as well, then I'm going to be, you know, a little bit excited for, for a possible matchup between her and Valentina, I will still heavily favor Valentina Shevchenko, no matter which way this fight goes. but um, I think this is a real chance for one of these two to establish themselves as a clear next contender for that belt
1: so just looking at the rankings here uh, alleviate some of my confusion because Valentina is not ranked in that division at all, so what, what would she just come down from like being the champion? Uh, in the flyweight division in order to fight at strawweight, she doesn't appear in the rankings at strawweight. So how does she just, does she just choose to like, oh, I want to. So I I, I I apologize.
0: I think that's my bad, actually. Oh, okay, fair enough. Because Joanna went up a division to fight Valentina Shevchenko, I'm pretty sure. I thought she was staying in that division. And so I thought that she was going to be fighting Michelle Watson at 125 pounds, but I guess not. I guess she's moved back down to 115. So scratch, scratch everything I said about one of them fighting,
1: uh, fighting Valentina,
0: that. and Fair re- replace that with uh, Jessica Andrade. Although you know, in when, when it comes to that 115 pound division, I really hope that Rose doesn't take too much time off. I still think she's the best in that division. I think she made a mistake. Uh, to lose to Jessica Andrade in in the way that she did, uh, I think she wins that fight nine times out of ten. She was piecing her up before that, so uh, yeah. I, she was yeah.
1: so Rose was so philosophical on off the back of that loss too. It, she almost made it sound like it was meant to be. You no, know, I, I, maybe she was getting a little a little tired of of being the, the strawweight champ. I, I, I could be completely off my off my out there. Perhaps. Who knows what is going yeah. on in Rosenamina's yeah. head mad. She is uh,
0: she's an odd cat. Yeah, yeah it's a guessing
1: game for sure. But God bless her for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh on on that note I think we're we're pretty much done. That that covers Bro, that was everything. fun.
1: I really enjoyed that. There's loads to talk about. So yeah. that was awesome.
0: So we'll we'll be back on Friday to break down and make our picks for the next pay-per-view card coming up which is going to be that dc versus stipe card um so that'll be fun there's lots to talk about on that card lots to break down um right. we'll, we'll make some picks and until then remember we have our instagram account which is the gtg podcast or at the gtg podcast um i i'm pretty sure that at the time of speaking we are not yet in double digits as far as our followers are concerned. <laughs> so. Uh, please follow us and yeah. uh, stick some questions in the comments and stuff. If you want us to talk about anything in particular on the podcast Absolutely. and we will get to it. Other than that, yes, I'll will, say, hi, uh, say hi to our only listener, Adam.
1: Hey Adam.
0: Yeah. Adam uh, in Bristol, our only listener up until this point. <laughs> I think maybe some of our family members are listening, but uh, for my part, I'm just having fun ranting into a microphone. These are the conversations that you and I have about fights anyway. Now we just get yeah. to, to, do it, and if other people want to listen, they can listen. If not, go fuck yourself. Don't fuck
1: yourself. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. <laughs> All right,
0: I will speak to you on Friday.
1: All right, see you
0: later. Bye. So that'll do it for today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I think today it was a little bit smoother tried uh, not to get quite so altered on the uh, medicinal herb beforehand, and I think my brain is a lot clearer, uh, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll carry on doing this, we'll break down the DC Stipe card on Friday, so we'll have a preview and picks then, and then we'll do our after the bell show as soon as the fights are done, uh, as always... I am still coaching in Thailand at Pura Vida BJJ Thailand for the next couple of weeks before Shannon and I pick up sticks and move to Georgia so if you are in northern Thailand and you want to come and have a roll and do some jiu-jitsu then please just drop me a line and come by the gym and, and we'll get a roll on. Other than that follow us on Instagram at the GTG podcast and shoot us some questions. Hope you're all good and we'll speak to you on Friday.